0: Annihilation. 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 One minute at a time. <tortilla> Let them not say, we did not see it. We saw. Let them not say, we did not hear it. We heard. Let them not say, they did not taste it. We ate. We trembled. Let them not say, it was not spoken. Not written. We spoke, we witnessed with voices and hands. Let them not say they did nothing, we did not enough. Let them say as they must say something. A kerosene beauty, it burned. Let them say we warmed ourselves by it, read by its light, praised, and it burned. Jane Hirschfield, Let Them Not Say. Fractal chaos, mostly pink, a few bits of white and very light blue. A spiral of incomplete circles forms around the center of the screen, white to yellow to light green. Music by Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow. Saul's transformation begins. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? And he, trembling and astonished, said, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now I would kill thee. I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. Where lies the strangling fruit that came from the hand of the sinner? I shall bring forth the seeds of the dead to share with the worms that gather in the darkness and surround the world with the power of their lives, while from the dim-lit halls of other places, forms that never could be, writhe for the impatience of the few who have never seen or been seen in the black water with the sun shining at midnight. Those fruit shall come ripe, and in the darkness of that which is golden shall split open to reveal the revelation of the fatal softness in the earth." The shadows of the abyss are like the petals of a monstrous flower that shall blossom within the skull and expand the mind beyond what any man can bear. But whether it decays under the earth or above on green fields, throughout to sea or in the very air, all shall come to revelation and to revel. In the knowledge of the strangling fruit And the hand of the sinner shall rejoice, for there is no sin in shadow or in light that the seeds of the dead cannot forgive. There shall be in the planting in the shadows a grace and a mercy that shall bloom dark flowers, and their teeth shall devour and sustain and herald the passing of an age. That which dies shall still know life and death, for all that decays is not forgotten and reanimated, shall walk the world in a bliss of not knowing. There shall be a fire that knows your name, and in the presence of the strangling fruit its dark flame shall acquire every part of you. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man, and Saul arose from the earth, And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. It's an old song. It's an old tale. And way back there, it's an old sun Life creates it. Makes it grow. It's energy. Surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings though. Not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here. Between you, me. J.G. Ballard, Cataclysms and Dooms, The Visual Encyclopedia of Science Fiction, 1977. Quote, Visions of world cataclysm constitute one of the most powerful and most mysterious of all the categories of science fiction, and in their classic form predate modern science fiction by thousands of years. In many ways, to believe that science fiction is itself no more than a mirror offshoot of the cataclysmic tale. From the deluge and the Babylonian zodiac myth of Gilgamesh to contemporary fantasies of 20th century super-science, There has clearly been no limit to our need to devise new means of destroying the world we inhabit. I would guess that from man's first inkling of this planet as a single entity, existing independently of himself, came the determination to bring about its destruction, part of the same impulse we see in a placid infant who wakes alone in his cot and sets about wrecking his entire nursery. Psychiatric studies of the fantasies and dream life of the insane show that ideas of world destruction are latent in the unconscious mind, the marvels of 20th century science and technology provide an anthology of destructive techniques unrivaled in war sadism and pacifism nagasaki destroyed by the magic of science is the nearest man has yet approached to the realization of dreams that even during the safe immobility of sleep are accustomed to develop into nightmares of anxiety as an author who has produced a substantial number of cataclysmic stories i take for granted that the planet the writer destroys with such tireless ingenuity is in fact an image of the writer himself But are these deluges and droughts, whirlwinds and glaciations no more than overextended metaphors of some kind of suicidal self-hate? Though I am even more suspicious of my own motives than of other people's, I nevertheless think not. On the contrary, I believe that the catastrophe story, whoever may tell it, represents a constructive and positive act by the imagination rather than a negative one, an attempt to confront a patently meaningless universe by challenging it at its own game. Within the realm of fiction, the writer of the catastrophe story illustrates, in the most extreme and literal way, Conrad's challenge. Immerse yourself in the most destructive element and swim. Each one of these fantasies represents an arraignment of the finite, an attempt to dismantle the formal structure of time and space which the universe wraps around us at the moment we first achieve consciousness. It is the inflexibility of this huge reductive machine we call reality that provokes infant and madman alike, and in the Cataclysm story the science fiction writer joins company with them, using his imagination to describe the infinite alternatives to reality which nature itself has proved incapable of inventing. This celebration of the possibilities of life is at the heart of science fiction. End quote. Custom Designer, Sammy Sheldon Differ. Sound Designer slash Supervising Sound Editor, Glenn Fremantle. Set Decorator, Michelle Day. Makeup and Hair Designer, Stan Grigg. Associate Producer, Joanne Smith. From the third Southern Reach novel, Acceptance, the biologist's last will and testament, concluded, quote, I never had a country, never had the choice. I was born into one. But over time, this island has become my country, and I need no other. I never thought to seek the way out, back into the world. As the years passed and no one else reached my island refuge, I began to wonder if the southern reach existed anymore, or if it had ever existed. That perhaps there had never been another world or an expedition, and I had suffered a delusion or trauma, a kind of memory loss. One day, perhaps, I would wake up and recall it all. Some cataclysm that had left me the only person in this place with just an owl to talk to. I survived storms that gusted in suddenly, and drought, and a nail through my foot when I wasn't careful. I survived being bitten by many things, including a poisonous spider and a snake. I learned to become so attuned to my environment that after a time no animal, natural or unnatural, shied away at my presence, and for this reason I no longer hunted anything but fish unless forced to, relying more and more on vegetables and fruit, although I thought I grew attuned to their messages as well. In the lengthening silence and solitude, Area X sometimes would reveal itself in unexpected ways. I began to perceive infinitesimal shifts in the sky, as if the pieces did not quite fit together, and to acquire from the habitat around me a sense of invisible things stitching through, phantoms that almost made me reconsider my antipathy for the SNSB's emphasis on the supernatural. Standing in a clearing one evening, as still as possible, I felt a kind of breath or thickness of molecules from behind that I could not identify and I willed my heartbeat to slow so that for every one of mine the hearts of the tree frogs throwing out their song might be twenty thousand times, hoping to be so quiet that without turning I might hear or in some other way glimpse what regarded me. But to my relief, it fled, or withdrew, into the ground a moment later. Once, the sky broke open with rain in an unnatural way, and through the murk an odd light burned at the limits of my vision. I imagined it was the far-off lighthouse that other expeditions had been sent in after me, But the longer I stared, the more the light appeared to be cracking open the darkness, through which I glimpsed for a moment dissipating shadows that could have been peculiar storm clouds or the reverse quickening of some type of vast organism. Such phenomena, experienced off and on these past thirty years, have also been accompanied by a changing of the night sky. On such nights, presaged only by the kind of tremor in the brightness within me, there is never a moon. There is never a moon, and the stars above are unfamiliar. They are foreign belonging to a cosmology I cannot identify. On such nights, I wish I had decided to become an astronomer. On at least two occasions, I would define this change as more significant, as a kind of celestial cataclysm, accompanied by what might be earthquakes, and cracks or rifts appearing in the fabric of the night, soon closing, and with nothing but a greater darkness seen shining through. Somewhere, out in the world of the universe, something must be happening to create these moments of dysfunction. At least, this is my belief. There is a sense of the world around me strengthened or thickened, the weight and waft of reality more focused or determined, as if the all-too-human dolphin eye I once glimpsed staring up at me is with each new phase further subsumed in the flesh that surrounds it. Beyond these observations, I have a single question. What is the nature of my delusion? Am I hallucinating when I see the night sky that I know, or when I see the one that is strange? Which stars should I trust and navigate by? I stand in the ruined lighthouse some nights and look out to sea and realize that in this form, this body, I will never know. My survival has also, to put it bluntly, been predicated by hurting myself. By the time I stood on the shore opposite the island, about to swim over, I was using pain to push the brightness back. The ways were myriad and I was precise. You can find methods to almost drown, to almost suffocate, but they're not as onerous as the thought might suggest ways to suggest the infliction of pain that can fool whatever lies within you a rusty nail a snake's venom as a result pain does not much bother me anymore it gives me evidence of my ongoing existence has saved me from those times when otherwise i might have stared so long at wind and rain and sea as to become nothing to just disappear in a separate document i have listed the best least intrusive approaches which i realize may seem morbid even though i consider it an absurd method of chronicling my days I have also noted the rotation of cycles that has proven most effective. Although, given the choice, I would not recommend this approach. You become acclimated to it, like doing the chores or foraging for food. After so much time, pain has become such a familiar and revisited friend, that I wonder if I will notice him more now that I have stopped my regimen. Will an absence of pain be harder to get used to? I suspect that this concern will be forgotten amid so many other adjustments that must be made. For, having found so many ways to put it off, I believe that my transformation will be more radical than it might have been, that I might indeed become something like the moaning creature. Will I see the real stars then? Sometimes, too, pain comes at you unexpectedly. You don't have to generate it, don't have to will it consciously upon yourself. It's just there. The owl that has been my companion these 30 years died a week ago, without my being able to help, without knowing until too late. He had become an old owl, and although his eyes were still enormous and bright, his colors had faded, his camouflage tattered. He slept more and did not go out to hunt as often. I fed him mice by hand in his redoubt at the top of the ruined lighthouse. I found him in the forest, after he had been missing for a few days, and I had finally gone out to search for him. From what I can reconstruct, he had become injured, perhaps from frailty or the onset of blindness, broken his wing, and settled on the forest floor. A fox or pair of foxes had probably gotten to him, He lay there splayed out in a mottled flurry of brown and dark red, eyes shut, head fallen to the side, all the life having left him. My microscope had long since been abandoned in a corner of the lighthouse grounds, overtaken by mold, half buried there by the simple passage of years. I had no heart to take samples, to discover what I already knew. That, in the end, there was nothing a microscope could tell me about the owl that I had not learned from my many years of close interactions and observations. What am I to say? that I do not miss him, End quote. The worlds are mostly red and pink, some small, some too big to be contained in the screen. Paramount Pictures and Skydance present. A lighter-colored wave stretches from the center of the left edge of screen, under the middle, and up to the top right corner. Yellow and light blue emerge, bunched up around the center of the screen, but also here and there across the top half, a Scott Rudin-slash-DNA Films production. The reds dissipate, yellows and greens and light blues take over the screen, and as it begins to fade to black, the end crawl begins with unit production manager Sarah Desmond. And time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Watching, he wakes by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. It was a dream. We lived inside a dream.